Hi, this is Rosalind Darby here for March. Uh, and it is amazing timing because uh, yesterday New Zealand time was International Women's Day and this morning uh, the rest of the world time was International Women's Day and I just happened to have checked into a Zoom uh, which is a repeat of something I did last year about this time called Disrupt by this incredible woman architect, Sarah Kalata, Polish woman, who basically facilitates people, architects from all over the world, you know, in using the, the ultimate current technology as in Zoom. So I saw it pop up again and it was very, very cheap. So I registered and then I went to sort of figure out my time converter thing and I realised I'd registered for something that started at two in the morning my time, two in, the, two in the afternoon in Europe. So it was a bit scary. But anyway, I got up at one thirty and um, kicked off at two in the morning. And all of a sudden it was six in the morning and I hadn't noticed the time fly at all. It just flew. And we had 20 minutes break. So it was a seven-hour session with goodness knows how many women architects from all over the world. And we had 20 minutes break, which is how Sarah does these things. So it's Catherine here. I'm jumping in to keep you awake. Yes. If people are listening to this, because often people will download this off the website. So today we're recording this on a Thursday. International Women's Day was the Wednesday. Yes. And you got up at two in the morning to do this uh, talk or listen in to this. Was it a talk? Or it, was was a, a... it was a series of women architects who had about 20 minutes each. And then there was questions for a few minutes. And then they launched into the next one. And some of them, um, one of them who's a woman called Alison Brooks, she is like up there with the very top architects in the world. Like she is up there with, she's a star architect, which is a, a star architect is a... A star architect? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Did you make that up? No, it's, that, no, it's, it's applied, it's a, and it's always applied to men because there's no woman arch, star architect. And suddenly I'm real, and then she's in amongst them, uh, mainly because she, uh, she's, I'll talk about other things, but she, she suddenly found she had to fly out to somewhere. So she uh, recorded hers in the morning. Um, so she, it was brilliant, but she did. She was sort of pre-recorded it, and someone in her office kind of hung out, and she took off on a plane. But um, she has just she's just been one of her latest projects is um, doing a master plan for for a whole area of waterfront along Toronto. But she's just one of the like Ada Jay is one of them, Henning Larson and one of them. They're all like. Like Star Architects, and she's in there. So she and she was wonderful. She was so, so generous. And what before I kick in, what I discovered, and it's what I discovered a year ago, is that what these people who I mean, a lot of these women are managing directors of firms that they started twenty, thirty, forty years ago, and they've got like sixty-five staff. And um, and what they talk about is what I talk about. What they talk about is it's people and place, and people and nature. And the three P's, people, planet, and profit, say. Um, And and they run their businesses on those basic principles. It's not, I want to design my name building. They're not interested in that. They do it because one of them says um, that that, that it's so important what you do with the the resources around you. What does she say? And it's just, I mean, they just kept quoting stuff, which I just absolutely love. that, you know, it's so important what, what effect a building has on the environment, and that's their job, is that they're responsible for what that building 
impact is on the, the immediate environment, people's neighbourhoods, what people see every day, and also people's psychology, people's experience of joy as they're passing by this building. Um, and somewhere along the line, I've always felt it, and this is what these professional people, professional women are practising within, is that buildings affect people's peace of mind. Buildings affect people's daily experience of being in a place and that experience should be constantly uplifting constantly joyful constantly reflecting how people feel about the about the physical environment they're in like the natural environment but typically buildings don't really do that and so we're, we're walking around the world in a constant state of kind of held kind of tension mm. because as people we have a native intelligence and our native intelligence is is how we respond to our physical, natural environment. And that intelligence should be kind of supported by built structures which respond to that place in an ideal world. Like in, way back in, in sort of the um, no-bad days, and, you know, it was um, people built from what they had around them. And they built simple shelters that served the basic needs of what they needed. And often they were sort of collected, collectives, around a kind of protection from weather and from threat. They were sort of around a circle, made of materials around them. And they understood the environment. They understood how that building had to meet shelter and warmth and security. And now we're all subjected to whatever gets knocked up. Right. And I don't think, because it's so complex, I don't think people discuss it who aren't involved in the profession, and a lot of people even in the profession haven't got time to really go into the complete or to sort of the the roots of this. And this is why these sorts of symposiums are so precious. And people like Sarah Kalata, who was an architect herself, but kind of does a lot more advocacy work as well, um, give us a chance to get together. And I think she had briefed all of these women. How many there was? One from Tanzania, one from. China and then Rotterdam both, one from Athens, one from Germany. So there's 13 women in seven hours and um, they're at the top, they're at the height of their professional skills, managing like 65 staff, some of them, some say 30. Um, and they had the time and interest in their work to sit there and talk incredibly deeply and incredibly intellectually about what they do and why we do it. So yeah. And why is that, that they... I mean, it's great that they did, but why do you think it is that they took that time to talk? I don't think. I don't think there are many. I mean, there is a lot of times when women get to speak at a, at a podium, and and they, I mean, Harvard has these incredible. Did have, not so much now. They used to have these incredible opportunities for leading architects to get up and speak to their life's work uh, to students. Um, but I think women, given the chance, this this was, I think a lot of the framework in the briefing from Sarah was how, because of the nature of it being Women's, International Women's Day, was how they, they as women architects support other women and, and the context around that. So they love talking about how they practice as a set up to support women, not just their own staff, but also um, women clients. And like the first speaker was Dr. Victoria Hellman, and she's founder and managing director of Alama Architecture in Tanzania. And she said, um, and, and her practice is staffed by women, and a lot of the work that they do is go out and build buildings for 
women and girls who are homeless. Oh, that is amazing. That's amazing. And and they do, they, they're just um, another building, um, and they're beautiful buildings, and they're another one, building for, for nuns who also were for women and girls. And like she said, um, there was this, in an African context, they built a school, and not like typically in a sort of, the girls don't really know anything about menstruation or, or they won't come to school if they have menstruation. Yes. So there's a lot of um, just children not going to school, girls terrified, you know. And so they have this whole beautiful room in the school which is all around mentoring and supporting and meditation, you know, around just menstruation. Yeah. Um, but uh, so she says her, part of her, um, one of her missions is building space for women and that means uh, she has... Um, two sort of principles. It's building spaces for women, but providing social support for women to air their voice. So she, uh, I remember this Nairi, Jules Nairi, he was the Prime Minister of Tanzania like for a long time, and, and she said that they all absolutely adored him. He was sort of, had kind of a socialist principle to managing the country. And um, he, and, she's, and she grew up saying she um, learned how he was conducting himself. So she grew up in a family of nine siblings in a small house, but um, you also sort of supported each other. And so when she went into architecture, that right from the word go, she was informed not necessarily by what she was taught, but how, by how she grew up and mm. how her family supported all of her relatives from the country coming in to look for jobs and things. And so her practice was really, because of the context of the day, was how she mentors and encourages more women into architecture. And then because she's got all these women working for her, she also um, likes to take them out to different parts of Tanzania and they actually work in building the houses, the buildings that they've designed for these communities of homeless women, perhaps, and young girls who, oh. have, who are without parents. So that was the, the introduction. Gosh, what a start. It was, and she was so well-spoken. You know, I just, and she just was always wearing these beautiful, these beautiful, simple black and white dresses, and I thought... I need to get more architectural in my wardrobe. <laughs> um, yeah, and and like yeah, bringing women into yeah, she'd bring her staff and other women into local woman building projects anywhere in the country. Um, and then, and she'd worked on she'd worked on jobs like Habitat for Humanity, which is where she learnt that you could actually go. And she found like I guess in the cities in Tanzania in Nairobi, wherever it is, um, wherever it was. Professional women are just like here. You know, we get on with our degrees. She she became a PhD, a doctor, and lectured and things. But it wasn't until she worked for Habitat for Humanity that she realised that in so many circumstances and rural situations in Tanzania, it's just life is just a day-to-day struggle. And so she engages with that, with her skills and her staff. And then they went to Carol Lung, who... Um, uh, during COVID, moved her big office from from uh, Shanghai to to Amsterdam as well because her partner is both partners are, are from Holland, right? Not Amsterdam, Rotterdam. So she just recently moved this big office to Rotterdam. So she works in both Hong Kong and Rotterdam. But um, I didn't know quite. And then I just looking at her, she was so committed and professional. Um, but her buildings. And, and I think her brief was how she started her architectural practice. Yeah. And she worked, she and her husband, who was 
Dutch worked in like big firms in um, in Shanghai, and uh, and for some reason they just wanted to go out on their own, and they got. They started as they meant to go on. They had they, and and she and she says that they challenged the design brief. They the sort of responsibility around the mission of a practice is to um, look at the site and and how that building should interact with the site and utilizing good resources. Because she said in China, as you can imagine, everything is disposable. You know, they'll just build buildings and they'll. She showed photos of like ancient Chinese like very uh, buildings in the middle of Shanghai, this little village area that was surrounded by big high rises and that village area was going to be demolished, which it was, you know. Uh, but she somehow got the job and they managed to save some of these old factories. But um she would show images of local people in this village part in the heart of Shanghai or somewhere in Shanghai. Um and, you know, within a minute the place had been transferred to a, you know, cleared for one of these high rises. But she Said she challenged the design brief and got the got the owners to keep some of these factories, and then she had the skills to keep the kind of quality of the original materials of the factory, but open it up and and have some of the windows went out then from floor to ceiling, and they opened this whole. And it, she's had a very beautiful execution around detailing and materials. So her her work is very sort of slim and beautifully detailed and very sort of high and highly kind of industrialized. But against these old materials, it all just works. So it's it's very professional, and so it's very convincing to those who, who are developers and who have money. So she, but her first job was she got a client. Um, here they were. They just happened to get a client who paid them a monthly retainer, so they could start off like that as they got other jobs. And it was out in the country, and this this Chinese guy wasn't you know it wasn't far from um, from Shanghai, but it was in the country. How far was it? And she and they went one to f- four miles away or something, and um, and he was he had this piece of land and he was wanting to re- be she was part of this group of revitalising the countryside not in a corporate sort of way but with just little pavilions throughout this valley and she got one of the jobs for these pavilions so we saw the sort of the map of it with these little buildings pepper potted through this valley and each one he'd selected an architect and they and they were given this job to design like a camping ground for young kids and so it was on the concept of a tent but um yeah so she basically and they went they researched the site thoroughly and they researched their brief this was their first job and there was so much everything all, all these practices talk about research and information yeah and um i'll just sort of sidetrack a bit when i was sort of starting to developed my logo a bit earlier last year for my website. You know, I wasn't interested in just a groovy logo. Mm. It, it just didn't go with me. Um, an image sort of like, I just felt like architecture is so broad that there's so much kind of information that you go to before to, in the briefing process. And I had my, like, my graphic designers pressuring me and it was really hard because, you know, I'm not great at branding anyway, but I just wanted it to be about information instead of like a, like an image. Yeah. And then I met someone recently, an architect who's come out from Colombia, and he's right into this idea of information and research. Um, and we as architects, there's so much that we have to kind of absorb when we come to a building that a client wants in terms of how it impacts on the landscape and how it's going to be the longevity of what it's serving. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah, I do. But so it was great. All these women were talking about research, and one of them actually had four principles, and one of them was um, balance 
amazing woman from Belgium um, who'd been going for 40 years. She, her four principles were um, balance, research, and sorry, my notes are just all over the show. Uh, balance, but yeah, so so that is was really validating. Yeah. And I remember when I was going through this sort of crisis, I was looking, I somehow came across four women in England who had won sort of honorary awards for whatever, and and one of them, hers was all about information. Even though she was doing these incredible buildings, it was this love of information and this lovely chap I've met from Columbia who's now working in Wellington, he, he's into that as well. So, so is, are they finding it reflected in the building? So are people realising it after No, they're the not. Fact? No one knows anything about the, about the research. No. Oh, okay. No, but, no, no. They just get the building and the experience. But yeah. our job as, as professionals is to do the research. But the so awards, that, are they getting the awards because it's then reflected in the building? Yes. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. they can see if they're in the building, they go, ah, if you didn't, if you hadn't have done the research yes. and had, hadn't got all that information, this building wouldn't have made as much sense as what it makes now. Yes. It wouldn't have been as usable. Right. And wouldn't have been made most use of the, the resource of both land and people. Right. Because building is an incredibly, it's both an emotional process for everybody involved, the client who's spending the money. Yeah the people who possibly have been removed from relocated and the people who are going to be using it. So that's the emotion side. But yeah. there's also, that's a resource that you can't waste. Yeah. Like I'm saying, you don't want to negatively impact people's psychology. Yeah. That's the human resource, but then there's the land resource and the building resource. And uh, yeah, so, so there is a lot. So yeah, so, um, so they came, they came up with this, it was just beautiful. They, they, we're back in China now. Back aren't in we? China, with in this, the, and, in the it, she, and so it was this beautiful circular building. So she felt like tents. Maybe that was why I was going on about the um, primitive kind of building. She had these young kids in these tents, but it was sort of like around a circle. So it was like the ah. tents were around a circle. Um, now, how did she describe? There was a reason for that um, protection, maybe. And she, they were allowed to choose their site. It was an amazing job for a first client. Choose the site. They chose it close to the river and the mountain. And um, they had a circle, which was a symbol, like a tent. Um, and these kids, and so there's a picture of these kids and, and lying on these beautiful white kind of sheeted mattresses in a circle. Um, and, uh, yeah, the detailing of it, like, it was basically built with, I think, a very clear translucent kind of polycarb, maybe. So the light shone through it. It's just a, it's like, a tra it's like that translucent stuff. There, it looks like that, but it's a material. Like on a on a window. On a window. Yeah, like like a privacy kind privacy of thing. thing like yeah. you've got there, um, and so that's material. So you just see diffused light at night, mm. and um, and so she showed you how they constructed it. So it's in a circle, but it was constructed as a series of kind of timber. Like it had to be real be able to be built on site mm. so it was these timber kind of triangular shapes and they were sort of like the bones like the skeleton around this thing um but her work and like re redoing these factories it was all incredibly refined um work within a, within an old kind of built material mm. which made her work look prestigious and then and then like covid came along and they moved to um rotterdam but they've got about like now 65 star and this is just one woman and two guys. I mean, that's how organised they have to be. Gee. But, they, but all of them, and this is what I found out about you, the reason these practices grow so successfully is they'd never really change from that first day when they decide that their interest is passion, people, and land. Mm. And they're still talking about it like, you know, when they're, hitting a, they're getting these huge commercial jobs. 
Yeah. So it's not just about an object building something that's like, wow, it's no. got to make sense. And I think that's women. Women aren't interested mm. in that. You don't go Sounds into ego, it that. egotistical, doesn't no. it? No. I mean, yeah. all that work to build that building, and yeah. it's only going to – how do you know if it's right? Yeah. It's just exhausting. It's like when you walk into someone's place or you walk in somewhere and you get that feeling or it's just it just feels right. You want to be in that space. But if yes. you walk in somewhere cold, maybe – architecturally fantastic but if it's cold and it doesn't make you feel welcome you want to get out and then there's the other irony that what we like as architects a lot of people actually hate <laughs> so that's a really weird thing because of all our research and our kind of information oh, we we love that because we see what all the, but a lot of people i want my picket i want my colonial cottage with a picket fence well then do you really need an architect for that yeah you just need a builder you just you need someone who likes the detailing bits of old wood and stuff yeah. Um, so it is tricky on these programs where I talk about architecture because yeah. I find it fascinating, but I think a lot of people would just switch off. They, you know, they just want a really nice, well-decorated, pleasant home in a garden. And that's as far as it – that's, that's, that's important. It is important. I've, I've dealt a, a little bit with architects in, in my previous life yeah. on a big build for a – it was for the RSPCA in Melbourne – Okay. And it's a beautiful building. I, we didn't realise what it was in the beginning. I think I've heard about that building. You pro- possibly have. It's amazing. Yeah, Barbara Bamford was the architect. I've and it's it, it's like a cat that is coming off the land. Okay. But we didn't really realise that we we it, we sort of forgotten about the whole look of the building. We thought, oh, it's fabulous. It's got these beautiful angles. Of course, the builders don't like it because it's all angles. Mm-hmm. She loves, it, loves an angle. Mm-hmm. And then as the building was being constructed... She'd mentioned, you do realise that it is a cat that's about leaping off. And then she stood back and watched and looked at this building. That's indeed what you feel like it is. And it's a stunning piece of architecture. Okay. It's a beautiful building. I was a project manager on it. Were you? Yes. How did you become that? Was you and I? I worked on the bushfires in 2009 as as a project manager dealing with recovery. And they needed a project manager from within RSPCA to work with the builder and the architect to deal with all of the RSPCA side of it. So you were actually employed by RSPCA. I you was. were the project manager. Yeah. Okay, from fantastic. The business side. So wow. it was like you had to have that conversation about how is this going to work because there was a building that they were still operating out of that was built, being built around and over the top of it. It was very complicated. That would and be then complex. you had surgeries going on, animals that needed adopting, animals that lived there. So all the animals lived on site. That is so amazing. Yeah. But I found the whole process absolutely fascinated and it really did open my eyes up to design and why it can be so important if you've got a building that you want to build, whether it's something small or large, that you don't just knock something up. You know, you think about angles, which way is it facing? Is there going to be wind? The sun changes through winter, through summer. And so we were were using thermal... um, thermal mass for heating the building in the kennels, for example, yeah. and then air exchange, all of these amazing to amounts. To keep the animal's temperature controlled. That was to get rid of the smell. Oh, the smell, yeah. Yeah, so you – I can't remember the number of air changes per minute, but it's a lot. How amazing. Yeah, so there's no smell. So people walk in sometimes into an animal's uh, – Shelter. Yeah, and they the smell puts them off mm-hmm. because the air's not being changed. Well, the RSPCA in Melbourne, there's no smell because of the air exchange, and that was all down to – the architects doing all their homework Mm -hmm. and finding out all their information, what do the animals need, Mm -hmm. rather than just knocking up something with a bit of concrete. And And putting 
you know, hurricane wire fences and they're all of this and all these, sort of, you know, which all functions well. It functions well, but, but when it people depresses go people. there, it depresses people. Yeah. Because, of course, they feel sad. They feel sad. So they may adopt an animal that's not necessarily for them. Yeah. Because they just want the animal out yeah. and at their house. And they get the animal home and think, that's, that's not the right animal. Interesting. But then if you go to a shelter and the animals are calmer, you're calm because you don't think the, you're saving the world, then you look for the animals that is right for you. You don't think you're saving the world. You've got time mm. and the animals got, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I love so... it. Yeah, I love architecture. So, and I'm sure there's more than me. Yeah, I'm sure there's more. And than appreciate you. So, it. so you became the project manager. You moved into RSPSPA for this particular job. Because project management is sort of what we, we – we don't call ourselves project managers. That's what we don't do. But we – because we don't tell the builder what to do. Yes. Um, we have a different name called co- Contract Administration and Observation. But so you came from the, the bushfires. <clears throat> what year was that? 2009. 2009 right, bushfires. Yeah. Right, right, right. Mm, that was the, the big one. That was uh, Black Saturday. Okay. Because mm. I, I went up to Noosa – October 2019, and they just had a bushfire. That was a, that was another big one. Yeah, and we were in the I was on the bus from Brisbane, getting closer to Sunshine Coast, mm. and you're driving along the road, and right beside you is just black, like right up to the road, all these trees, and, and the other side, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but it, we went on for ages. Like you went, you're driving quite close, getting really into the suburban area, and it was just black, 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 and it only just sort of, yeah, driving through. Uh, Parts of Victoria after that fire, uh, it was a very, I can't remember the number of hectares, there were many different little um, villages and towns that mm-hmm. were completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd drive along, like you were saying, on one side all black and on the other side greenery. And some of these places you drive along and then all of a sudden there's just a house just sitting out in the middle of nowhere with everything else gone. But the silence, not a bug, not a fly, not a mosquito. Not a bird. Oh my god! For for months, it's incredible, and then it all flourishes again. Mm-hmm. You know, within a year or so. But yeah, amazing. But that all has so to be. So you'd be rebuilt. really good up in Napier and Gisborne right now. Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A plug for you. A plug for you, Catherine. But no, I'm here. Yeah, Isn't I mean this whole tent but... thing. I mean, I'm really interested, obviously, in, in Gisborne and, and Napier um, regarding you know proposed housing up there. Well, I was, you know, they've got to think about that. Yeah. Were how we, how people the whole sociology the social aspect of it yeah I mean I mean the first thing that came to my mind was the government can actually provide housing but it can be done by the likes of us but in consultation but you know for the the community so it does, they can choose the best piece of land I mean mm. I don't know whether in a Marai sense. Residents would want to live together in a collective housing situation. Well, you know what? It worked in Victoria, and this, these are people who are not used to Marais or even that concept, but they had to build three temporary villages because yeah. there, there were thousands of people that were displaced through this fire. And they built three villages, and the, they brought architects in, Barbara actually the same one that did okay. the RSPCA building in Melbourne, to build beautiful buildings for communities to go to. Yes. So they could have their meetings there. Okay. They could have... Um, they were beautiful buildings in collective environments. Where, they where didn't feel like they were sitting on a, you know, a, some rotten old chair that no one cared about. They went into these beautiful spaces, which are still there, and they will be there for decades. And it's transformative for them. They've been through this incredible grief process, but then they go through this rebuild transformative process. Yeah. So you're injecting something positive and beautiful because yeah. you need it from a psyche 
point of view yeah. and from a recovery point of view and to move forward, having these beautiful buildings yep. that were paid for by the government, yep. getting these great architects. But they in. had the right consultants I mean, the pro- and also project yeah. management. I mean, they had asked the right questions. They'd, they'd, what was this thing about questioning the brief? Right. That, I mean, you know, what do the you government mean? can go in there and build all these buildings and it can be fine, everyone's housed. But has the process been – has that research of thought been mm. done so that it's actually the moment where you can have real transformational process and you can look at the kind of building that's needed either immediately or temporarily or even permanent long-term, but how you can build for these unique communities who live in these really unique physical environments. Mm. So it's the building, the process – and for the particular social construct. And who am I to know? But you just sort of see an ideal situation where you can start. I mean, a marae is a, is a bunch of collective yeah. hand-built buildings or whatever occurred around those different different townships up and down East Coast. Yeah. But if it was, if the process kind of happened, it's a chance to to collectively have people involved in even building their own building if it's simple enough. If you're serious, like we're talking about these tents and series of yeah. simple buildings, but collectively they, they really respond to the site and to the... Yeah, I mean, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. I mean... Well, let's hope so. It's a good idea. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, you it's know... It's a lovely idea. It's yeah. community as well. And it just means that all of that everybody's been through, is, it's like it, you come out of it with something new, a whole new set of learnings and a whole new set of new forms of social structure that are appropriate that weren't possibly before or I don't know and there's also things around those people that would have gone through all of this Mm -hmm. can talk to each other in a way that they can't talk to people who haven't been through it Mm -hmm. so they perhaps want to live near people who will understand the anxiousness that they can't really explain or when they're having a really bad day if you've also been through it you know that that you just you just have to be there for that person yeah whereas you could have someone else who hasn't been through it saying oh yeah let's have a chat or you'll be fine or look how great your house is or you know whatever recovery is yeah. isn't it beautiful look at the sea view yeah which is could be one of the things that can help but sometimes yeah. but not if you're in that space and yeah. if you've been through it yourself and you and you can recognize it in someone else yeah it makes a difference so maybe they you know Maybe they slow, do a slow building, pro- not a slow building process, but but a slowly thought through process. Mm. Because people do find their own um, peace in these situations. People who can possibly cope, and it might be just taking time to sort of look at you know the form of the hill where your house was, or on you know the peaceful things that help you find peace every now and then when you're coping, mm. and to be able to be with, to be able to be supported in an environment where you have moments to find those bits of peace that support yourself mm. if the physical if the built process you know you're in, if you're sort of in control of the process a wee bit by just saying I need this and this is what's working for me and I'm happy at the moment and you can alt and you can talk to other you know I'm happy here then mm. the buildings can kind of respond to that kind of need as well yeah even though oh, you're going to be really sad the next day but momentarily oh and if you can get buildings which capture that moment, and even if they're temporary buildings, but the, like Christchurch had the most amazing time when they had those um, temporary park builds, you know, in empty vacant lots. Yes, look, that was international. We, you know, it was people were hearing about that. Were they? So colourful and joyous out of empty that, lot that came out of something that just was nothing. Yeah. 
It's yeah. fantastic. The, that's humans having to survive and thrive. Yeah, really. Yeah, and be creative and on an empty blank space, and and being able to bring flowers, you know, to a place and whatever they did on those empty lots and driving by in a bus, you know. I, I wasn't taking a bus from Littleton to Christchurch, just commuter bus, and I had these young these young kids behind me, and they were, we were looking out of the window, and they were saying, oh. Christchurch is so much better, you know, now, you know, with those, you know, empty, all the art spaces and everything, you know, and you're hearing these conversations on the bus by locals. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. So, I mean, suddenly I'm jumping back to Kapiti. Yeah. And we're, 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 we've been a growing community since I've been here since 2020. And we've been growing, but sort of growing nowhere. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, we're still, also we're fast, you know, fastest growing community or developing Kapiti or it's lovely because there's new land, new subdivision, and everything is without the research. Yeah, so just plonking things on. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're not allowed to get political on the station, but no. But um, we're talking about these processes that these architects are doing all over the world, and here we are in Kapiti. Oh, the four, this wonderful Belgian woman, her four principles were balance, research, values, and fusion, of which she had a whole lot of things. Her work was incredible. I'll just jump back to her because yes, please. She comes in and she's been working for forty-six years, and she's this beautifully, smartly, elegantly groomed, straight blonde. You know, like just and the warmth and humanity in her voice because she's a woman who's experienced. But then she shows a photo of her. Apparently, she was pregnant. She got pregnant while she was at university, and she's just sort of grinning and sitting on this like bench in this little tiny apartment that she and her partner bought. And I think they got a big loan to buy it. Like it was tiny, and then they just sort of created a home from nothing out of that and she had this baby in her, her last year at uni whatever and and then there was another photo of and then she just learnt about she learnt her experience through the, the minimalist of, of this little flat and what it was to live in a house and build they had to build it all themselves and um, and that sort of informed her she and even though she's building these massive sort of huge urban complexes now with her 65 staff um Every, she's always sort of worked through the housing as a kind of understanding about about sort of principles of how people you know live in. and she and she it was through a personal mating experience with her and her husband and a little kid in this yeah um, those are her four values because like the Belgians are very minimalist uh, you look mm. at their architecture it's very sort of black and white and grey yeah so I didn't think I was going to like this but she was actually very passionate within everything everything was very black and white and grey but still incredibly from a from a Belgian point of view. So getting so getting back to um, I don't know why I brought her into the thing, but I just saw her four points there about the research. So the research is, was flowing through this okay. completely. Yeah. And here we've got Capiti, and we've got developers. We've got tons of people moving in, some with quite a bit of money, and and the real estate game goes round in circles, and everybody's having fun buying and selling stuff. Yeah. And that's about the most empowering thing people can do is buy a house and do it up. Yeah. In the meantime. We've got a bit of land here with a whole lot of sort of geography that means a lot to everybody who comes here or visits here. And whether or not we're working with the geography that we've got in an aware sort of way is the responsibility of us architects. And mm. it's quite painful to see so much short-term thinking. Mm, I imagine it would be. Yeah, and now we've got, like you've been in that situation of, of a sort of disaster and a fire and also like, Lost and you know lost animals. Um, Capity, you know, could it's a, it's a turning point. I mean, I happened to have to leave this Zoom thing really early, because, well, like nine o'clock. I couldn't wait till because 
I was told about uh, the, the council meeting this morning on strategy finance and blah, 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 but it was to do with, some of it was to do with the um, urban development stuff. And so I came along, and they were talking about that lovely Ramati, you know that Ramati concept that Sophie and Bede have come up with, with all this beautiful map making and mark making of um, the nature of Ramati Beach, Ramati shops, and how they can kind of consolidate the things that work there. And it's a beautiful graphic representation and map of what happens there. And also they had some sort of people consultation and there's comments there about people would love to see in Ramati. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the beginning of this research process that these politicians have started. Um, And so that was on the agenda, so I thought I'd go and have a listen to that. Um, And then you get from from that moment that, they had they had someone from strategy coming up with the strategic long term vision thing to two thousand and fifty four. You think, oh, not another one, you know? And how are we going to engage with the community? And you think, yeah, that's a, yet we do it again and again. But um, there was a sense that all the councillors there are really a kind of breath of fresh air, and that they're there for a reason, mm. and that um, they were sort of like trying to be positive about this report that one of the staffers had produced, even though they could. They were there to sort of critique it, which is what they were doing, but they're also really trying to be positive because you can see that all... I think they'd commissioned it. They'd only just been elected in, in October, but they were commissioning a decent sort of strategy to go forward. And um, so I think there's a potential at the moment in Kapiti for to capture the fact that you've got councillors who wanted to be voted in to actually do something. But without the architects involved, I think we're lost. Yeah. It's just me being a really black and white statement. All oh. these strategies, and we're going to engage the community and ask the community what they want. We've done that decade after decade. I mean, the community knows it's never going to happen the way they want it, so it's a really frustrating experience. Mm. And I believe that we need to have this this architectural thought process, which I experienced in the early hours of this morning, um, Openly received at council, yeah. And the they talked about collaboration heaps. I mean, the Belgian woman, she's just merged with another big company, and she said she's really only really interested in the emotion and the passion and um, what did she say? Um, the emotion and the passion. But the guys that she merged with are interested in execution and detail and, oh. and structure. And so she says it's um, kind of perfect. The really. best of bo- best of best of both worlds that she's got here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Balance between structure and execution, and she's the focus on emotion, passion, and creativity. And she said it's a different way to dialogue. The best of both worlds. So, and so all this knowledge. You've got the knowledge of knowing you've done it before and what's happened in another part of the world as in Australia and in sort of like native environments mm. and in sort of like animal environments. And I'd just like to grab this moment. Now we've got councillors who are all informed, who all really want to make a difference mm. from what I can see. And it's just getting that mix of the staff who do kind of what they're told and are very proud of their work perhaps. But that's those staff are going to be there for two years and they'll move on somewhere else in another couple of years. Yeah. So this is their report of the day. But Buildings are there for a long time. They're or, a long, or, or the, decision, can... the money involved in, in actually tendering the whole process, all the money and energy, and it's usually so convoluted yeah. and heavy-handed. Yes, yeah. And they never ask us. Yeah. And we could solve it in an instant. Because we've got all this information in our heads. Well, I was going to say that. That is not easy. It is not easy. So 
I'm being a little bit flippant, but if you ask someone maybe what they want, they may only know it from a very limited point of view Mm -hmm. because you're thinking about your own backyard or your own front yard. Mm -hmm. Not everyone. People can see a bigger picture. But if you're trying to get a collective viewpoint, I think that's a little bit harder for people to perhaps do who aren't in that profession. But that is your profession. Yeah. So that is what you do do and your brain has been – I guess it's like going to the gym. Your brain has been trained to be able to absorb this information. Absolutely. And deal with all these complicated issues and then – produce something at the other end of it. Yeah. It's complicated. But, like, but it, bottom line, my if, they head knew blows that, up when if I, they knew that our ultimate questioning, the belief, is yeah. about people and place, yes. it goes through right through all of the complexity and out the other end, what do you have, people and place? But you start with that. Yeah. And all of that complexity. So that's, it, information, is crea- information is architecture, like dealing with information is part of architecture. And I think we don't get understood because people think I mean an artist told me oh architecture is just large sculpture and I just start to shrivel up inside when I hear that because that's so you know we don't just manufacture a product out of nowhere it's not just putting a building up go oh this is pretty with a couple of different roof angles or something it's not what it is and it's and it's the fluidity and and the chair of the the chair of the council which was quite interesting was beautiful Sophie Hanford who's only about 21 or something Mm. And they'd given her, her, I think it might have been her first cheering, and she liked to just like absolutely in her in, in the right place. Um, and she is able to manage politics in a fluidity kind of thing. Like she doesn't have to have a solid answer. So mm. she, you can see that she understands. She's someone who can actually flow with uncertainty. Mm. And if you can, an architecture and as creators, you know, understand uncertainty, and that's the sort of the tension, the creative tension. Yeah. And when you have, like, the demand for we've got to produce a result because we're afraid of people complaining that, you know, their rates are blah, 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 and you just get the same old, same old. So, yeah, I mean, the sort of subtlety of these conversations that we're all exposed this morning and what you're just actually describing, exactly that process, if we could say, like, raise Capiti to be a, what do they call it, a leader, what do they call it? A thought leader, thought leadership. Thought leader, yeah, um, Capity could be instead of being like the worst backward, short-sighted city council, you know, district in the country, we could actually, you know, very very quickly with the people we've got in council at the moment and all of the experience out there, um, we could actually by managing all that information again, mm. but it's come from people. Um, we could actually just quickly in terms of thought leadership, gear ourselves in the right direction. Do you? This may be an odd question, which I can edit out of this interview if, no, it's, no. if, it's, a, if it's too out there. When you're absorbing this information or you're looking at all the information of a particular area such as Kapiti, do you get some sort of feel of what the place is? Absolutely. Like, can you describe it? Or is it too abstract? Well... No, it's it's not abstract. I mean, good question because I mean, for years we've called it like Capity, like a, ser- a p- pearls on a string, mm-hmm. as a way of kind of an abstract symbolic idea of it's it's not just a district. It's Pycock, which is one place. It's Ramadi Beach, which is another place. It's Ramadi. It's Paraparam Beach. It's Paraparam. It's Waikanae. And it's sort of like the, the sense of pearls on a string. Mm. They're all autonomous little villages, and they all need to. They all, everyone feels that they really want to really strengthen the quality of their own village. Yeah. 
and and that sense of place. I mean, my lovely Colombian friend, who I, I want to produce a series of books about each township for that very reason, to explore the sense of uniqueness about each township, which has then becomes my briefing document. Like an architect, we have a brief, and I'd like... Cabinet Coast to have little briefing documents for each place mm. so that then all of the people of that place, even though it will be a book which, you know, will have a sample of views and a sample of sites and images about it and a sample of bits of writing and photography, it'll capture what you're talking about, that sense of place, because that's what an artistic creative process can sometimes do if it's successful, so that everybody can relate to it from their own perspective. And you're talking about this big collective thing and say, you know, what do you all want? We really, you know, we really respect you as a community. We want you to give our answers. People will get in a room and then they'll, they're so passionate about their view of that place and what they think because they're so emotionally connected to it. Mm. They'll often actually end up arguing yeah. because someone's saying, no, I feel this and I feel that. And you're back to square one, yeah. even though they're all coming from the right place. Yeah. And that's where you need to understand the architecture of managing information mm. and where it's all very well to hand people a, a strategic plan and we really like our people to feel like they're getting what they want. Um, you've got to design that, not just produce it, because the design process understands that these people are all wanting the same thing in, in terms of being at actually at peace about the place they live in, but they're all fun. They're all they're also passionate about it. That's mm. where conflict can start. Yeah, and so you need to understand that's part of the nature of the nature of the situation, and then work with that. And I think what we haven't done is had the responsibility of council coming up with design concepts from within council, so that so that when they hand out these query questionnaires to surveys. There's, the, the, there's a sense of confidence that the council can actually deliver mm. from with, without having to spend a fortune on tendering out for design consultants from outside who yeah. are going to come up with a master plan. Yeah, who haven't been here. Who haven't been here, and, and they can be marvellous, like yeah. name architects. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that good old ass have been so successful with our art gallery. We're just lucky. That's a blinking fluke. I mean, that's not a fluke. It's information. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Research. They re their information, you're talking, about, you're talking about ventilation with the animals. The, the whole ventilation design is interesting. But um, so that so the council, I, all of the council this morning were heralding this, this beautiful report that they'd actually commissioned from within one, one, you know, within this, one of the departments. But at the same time, there was a sense of um, we've actually got to be able to do something. We've got to offer people something. We can't just say, you know, we love you, you know, what do you think? Mm. And not those sort of language. It was yeah. very good sort of um, public service kind of strategic language that people have a very skill at that, which I don't have, is that way of writing strategy um, effectively. Um, but I believe that the complexity of the landscape and the built environment and the future potential of where we're going is that you need um, to have people in council who are designers Mm. It doesn't really matter who they are, but you know well, it does actually. But who a respect for design within council? Yeah, not saying oh we'll pay for that from an outside consultant because we're not we don't know anything about it. But we don't even trust our own people within Capity mm. to provide that service for us. Yeah. So there you go. Was your experience at council today 
and what you brought along with you from this morning's Zoom meeting. Yeah. Was that was that interesting? Did that some had somehow have some sort of uh, synergy about it? Yeah. Well, I just have to say the amazing thing is, like, at about 2 o'clock yesterday, maybe later, I got an email from Liz Coe, who's a new councillor, and she said, oh, Rosson, by the way, she knew, knows I'm interested in urban issues. And I've spoken to her, and she said, oh, this is thing on this, you know, this is, you might want. And my first reaction, I'm not going to go. And I thought, oh, yes, I will go. Mm. And then I thought, I'm sitting here all day working, and it's International Women's Day, and I think, oh, I feel so sort of. And then I just answered, thank you. On International Women's Day, that just cheered me up no end. I needed that. And she appreciated that. So she got me in there. Okay. And um, and it was timely, and that was nice to have a connection and an email from her. But then, yeah, to, then to think, oh, I've got this thing tonight. I'll come along fresh to that. Mm. And I was determined to come along... I mean, they had, you know, they assume that you might want to come along to speak in the public forum, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I just wanted to listen to what everybody was doing, and it was just good to become much more familiar with the um, local, the public service way of addressing these issues, how 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 it works, and yeah, it was two different environments. And I was sitting there thinking, it was refreshing what I'd come through from this level of expertise at night. But to these people bringing their own expertise to the table this morning at council, and that they're they're kind of quietly enthusiastic, and they know what they can do, and they know there's a problem, and they know that they're there to solve it, and there's a sense of like let's try and and with Sophie heading the chairing it, there's a sense of fluidity and ability to tease it out so that you can actually handle uncertainty, mm. and that's critical when you're solving really major problems. Yeah. So yeah, good question. I mean. Here we are local, and I was sort of international, global. Yeah, listening to all these doing unbelievable exactly the, architects. Yeah, doing real um, major cityscape stuff. As we, But one of, I mean, there were these two Indian women of a certain age, and they had both just that week, one from India, you know, um, enduring architecture award or something. But one of them was the first ever woman-run architecture practice, which she started in 1978 or something, 1979. And she started with these same principles, and she's now she's now showed us the she designed her own office, which is like a two or three four story beautiful, um, highly um, environmentally conditioned responsive building. So she's got to that point, and her daughter, who's graduated, has now come back to work for her in, in the practice. So she's very joyous about that. But you see her; she, she got pregnant very early on, had this little baby. But um, she started out um, in seventy nine, wanting to run her own practice, and her father said, "You can have." You can build your office on my front lawn. But he had lots of trees. He didn't cut down trees. And she it was really complex trying to get this little building in between all these trees. She wasn't allowed to cut down one tree. And she kind of, I think she built it herself. And she would have been probably like 20, I suppose she's about 25 at this point, after you've read. And, and, and that was her first experience of building with brick and understanding brick. And, um, and she said... So all the way through now, she's still like this building she's built for this big office block thing, which is attractive. There's all sorts of greenery and there's green walls. And she said, I I wrote it down. She said, nature's so important. And she said, when people raise their heads from their CAD, she said, we're all systems now, it's not drawing boards, and they see green. She thinks that's part of, you know, that's even the way her staff get a chance to raise their eyes from their 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 cat, which is computer-aided drafting, computer screen, and they look up and see green. That, that's just a moment that she describes, you know, with sort of 
sort of like sensitivity, and mm. that's it's lovely hearing that. Yeah. So so she she was she was there, and um, a woman, and she's like she's she was there was images of her talking as a guest speaker at World Economic Forum. You know, she's been right through the whole sort of guest speaker thing and um, discussing issues on a global level. It's amazing having her sort of sharing her experience. That's fantastic. You're really good. No wonder you you mentioned to me before we started talking that it was you started about two o'clock, and what time did you f- leave to go to council? Nine. Nine, and you thought that you'd been sitting there for ten minutes or yeah. something. You know, it's like that must be. Well, they had a break. They had a break at ten past six in the morning. Is it six o'clock? I've just arrived in front of my computer, you know. That's incredible. And they had a 20-minute break, so it was seven hours of women just absorbed talking to each other for seven hours with a 20-minute break, and it was just so, yeah. It's a, yeah. So that's the nature of, I guess, she, they discovered it through COVID, that you can do this. Yeah. Incredible. That kind of connection thing. Yeah. And amazing, the theme that's gone through it. Yeah. That all about information and research and emotion and yeah. all of that. yeah is what goes into these amazing buildings. So I think, you know, for women, there was obviously a lot of, there was a lot of people talking about statistics of a lack of women and limitations in, in women in, um, one, one, there's a lovely quote here, a lovely Chinese woman, she said, um, give ourselves, we're talking about, you know, imposter syndrome mm. and, and, you know, pay scales and, and the amount of women in the industry and, and this woman who works um, in an in a, in a agency about, I think it's it's elevating women in the architecture, engineering, construction industry in, in the States, this massive organisation. It's called Elevate Her. And she says, and she, she says, give ourselves permission to step up and take up space. Oh. On International Women's Day. Because I think she'd that been through... That time, doesn't it? Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I mean, you do feel... Um, I think you do feel, you know, you've got pressure. You've got to design this amazing building. You've got to make a name for yourself. And that architect so much is doing all these, got all these clients. But then for these women to just say they've just quietly worked through a process mm. and that in that process they're ending up being asked to design these. I mean, Alison Brooks from England, she's just showed us an extension she did to a quadrangle in Oxford University. Which is pretty prestigious, and mm. she and she her whole thing was looking at the con- her thing was context among many others, um, also how to run a business, but the context of the old buildings in Oxford, and and so she designed these, um, adding on like a contemporary building it was a host- it was a hostel for students, plus it was like um, open seminar rooms and things, adding on to this old sort of nineteenth century Gothic building, which was called the Ruskin Building actually, and Ruskin was sort of the leader of con- of contemporary modern architecture way back at night. He talked about the seven lamps. or He he was kind of pre-arts and crafts, the beginning of the arts and crafts movement, right. which was the beginning of the modern movement. And so she thought it was interesting that she, on this Ruskin building, but um, she div- she took elements of, of old Oxford, which was the, they're around like monasteries. You go around, you walk around the archway of, of a monastery quadrant, and she brought those into the sort of modern context, sort of arched walkways. Oh. There's a name for them, and I've just forgotten it. And so there's examples of that. And then there were these questions I've got here. What do we do it for and for why do we build and for whom? Like just simple basic questions like that. Yeah. What, would, would council ask that question? What do we do it for and who do we do it for and, 
and why? I mean, those those are so simple questions. That's why it's so easy, really, to get to go through a design process because this you've got to ask those basic questions, and then you start to realise how you know humble you know how what an honour you know it's, it's sort of humbling. Like you, you've just got a bunch of information and a bunch of situations which you've got to kind of resolve. And I think I think. I guess KCDC isn't full of world experts, mm. so these people really want to do a good job and don't want to mess up. But this lack of respect for expertise, because everybody's sort of limited by the skills that are available or whatever. But yeah, so we've got this incredible physical landscape of hills to the sea, and the river, the rivers that everyone's familiar with, mm. the Waikanae River and Otaki River, and and um, that little stream that goes through underneath um, the Big Mac. In coastlands, sort of shoehorned underneath the food court, um, and it all kind of links hills to the sea, and with pearls on a string as the little sort of settlement kind of concept that sort of strings its way along. If, if I could only kind of bring these women into the room, I would be. But yeah, no, they just um, all over the world, and all, all sort of saying the same thing. You have to go for quality. You had to argue and convince, but how important a building is in the environment. That was the sort of question you've got to actually con- you've actually got to convince council mm. that it's important that a building and the environment. Um, I mean, I think also, funnily enough, people make do. Like you know, we've got Coast Access Radio creating this incredible world of community here. People do adapt to the most un- unnecessarily fantastic, you know. So I think people can make all, but it's nice to provide a house mm. for activity for people who are doing great community things as well. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so um, thank you so much, Catherine. And I'm just so surprised by, I've got to have another conversation about this project management. Well, this thank is a fascinating you. conversation we've had today, though. I mean, we probably need to talk more about what you heard this morning as well. That may, or that may filter in to other conversations that you have going forward with your other guests too. I think so. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, this is Rosalind and Catherine talking on Local Architecture Now, March. It's sort of late evening in Europe on um, the 8th of March, International Women's Day. So we'll be in Europe for a moment on International Women's Day, which actually was yesterday in New Zealand. Thank you. This program was made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for Radio Broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.